Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. This show features Ben Harrison. Ben's a unique guest. He's released his second album as the band Stutter Steps, but he's also curator for the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Through his job and his music, he's had the opportunity to work with Dean Wareham and Britta Phillips of Dean and Britta, Luna, and Galaxy 500. Ben talks about the great sound series at the museum and what he does as a curator. He also talks about how the new Stutter Steps album differs from the debut and the role that Anthony LaMarca from The War on Drugs and St. Vincent had on the music. Follow Stutter Steps and the Andy Warhol Museum on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX. I'd love to see some new reviews regardless of where you post them. Now let's jump right into the show with Ben Harrison of Stutter Steps. Okay. This is Ben Harrison of the Stutter Steps on performance anxiety uh, i have a new album reeling uh, out was out on may 1st on blue arrow records i uh, hope you can check it out well, thank you so much for for joining me tonight man i really do appreciate it sure no thank you for for reaching out oh of course <laughs> okay so i was just yeah this is obviously recorded not yeah. not live yeah. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> it would be a really weird live episode. Yeah, it would, yeah. I had a, well, I've had a couple other podcasts, and one, uh, they're both sports, and one we used to do live, and it was, I remember the worst experience we ever had was that they had pre-planned breaks, right? And it was, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it was, I mean, it was a podcast, but it was, it was over the internet, so it wasn't like a radio show or anything. So I remember it was me, my buddy Mike, and uh, we had a former uh, linebacker and I used to play with for the Redskins named Robert Henson. And uh, so we would all go to Mike's house, set everything up, and chat for an hour about usually DC sports. Yeah. So we would we we, uh, we had our traditions. We would uh, start every every show with a shot of Red Stag. Mm. Do twenty minutes. Uh, then it would it would hit a commercial break. Then we would go over to. Uh, the counter, do another shot, come back, and finish up. <laughs> we would do that each break. And I don't remember if it was the first or second break of one show. We we were just chatting, and then yeah. we did our shot. And then, like, 15 minutes later, we're like, oh, shit. We haven't gotten back to the show yet. <laughs> so we had, like, 15 minutes of dead air. And I was just, oh. It was the worst. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, we were recording. We would record it and release it later on a on a DC Sports blog. So we were able to wipe all that out. But anybody who was yeah. listening was just 
Like, yeah, that's rough. Yeah. It's terrible. It was absolutely atrocious. <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible radio. Dead air is yeah. not good. Oh, well. So, uh, but like I said before, you know, thank you so much for, for joining me. It's, uh, I'm really enjoying the album. It, it's, uh, it's oh, got thank a, you. Oh, it's got a great sound to it. I, I, I love it. But before we get too deep into the album, I want to know a little bit more about how you got to that point. Sure. Do you do you grow up in a musical family? What, did you start playing guitar at a young age, or how did how did you start getting into music? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I, I did grow up I, somewhat in a musical family. Um, I was definitely playing. You know, I I, I started playing drums actually um, first, probably in I'll say you know junior high. Oh. Um, and my brother uh, Brooke really was uh, wh- who got me into that. He's about six years older than me and he was a drummer and kind of brought me into the whole world of, you know, rock and roll. <laughs> and yeah. I rode on his, uh, you know, coattails and went to his <laughs> band rehearsals and, uh, <laughs> awesome. you know, that where he probably, you know, didn't want me to be, but, um, you know, yeah. So that, and then my father was a, he, well, he is, a doesn't play as much anymore, but he was uh, actually a, a trumpet player in a Dixieland jazz band. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And awesome. uh, it was a, a, a band that he had where he, he was a professor at a small college where I grew up near, not too far from here, about three hours in Meadville, PA. Okay. Uh, uh, called Allegheny College. And so I kind of grew up around there and grew up with him playing trumpet and taking me to rehearsals. And, um, you know, I... So I guess I w- I've just been around music for a while, but, you know, p- definitely played in, you know, my share of kind of high school and college bands. And, and um, you know, I, I moved to Pittsburgh shortly after college and was playing pretty regularly in, in different bands. And by then I had kind of, right before college, I kind of transitioned to guitar, uh, very much self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, just easier to carry around, I guess, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those, you can't fit those drums in a gig bag. Really. You know how that goes. Uh, so yeah. So, um, but you know, I guess the, you know, the thing is I, I was pretty serious about music it, when I, you know, in college studied music and was playing and just wanted to be around music as much as possible, whether it was, but I think what I realized is that I also, as much as I like performing and playing and, and being in the scene, I also really liked being behind the scenes and, and producing concerts and putting shows together. Oh, right. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of got into that kind of seriously in college and was able to do a lot of kind of shows, you know, as I think you can do when you're maybe at a small school, you can kind of make things happen on your own and, and a lot of DIY stuff. And, um, and then I got into more, I guess you would say like I, I started working for like an amphitheater near where I went to school uh, oh, cool. and really got my taste of like professional performing arts, you mm-hmm. know? And so anyway, I say all that to say that's kind of how I came to Pittsburgh. One was to just, it was a place I wanted to be that, that a lot of my friends were after school and where I thought I could play music, but also I had this, crazy idea that that i i wanted to try to work for the andy warhol museum 
in Pittsburgh. Okay. okay. Where, did that, where did that idea come from? Yeah, you know, it was, um, it, the, the museum opened in 94, and I graduated in 96 from college. And so it was still just a couple of years old, and I, uh, I moved to Pittsburgh with the idea that, um, you know, I wanted to play music, and that's all I thought about back then. Yeah. Um, and, and I did that, um, but I, I think was, I was here about a year, and I just happened to have an opportunity um, where, you know, the museum was looking for, for someone to experiment with, with different performance-related events, and I particularly had music in mind. Right. And it just kind of clicked and worked out. And so the museum kind of really became my, um, it kind of took, <laughs> took over my life in a good way as a, <laughs> as a job. Right. And, yeah. and I, you know, started to develop over, you know, pretty quickly, um, a music program there. And also I should say, I mean, one reason if it was such, such of interest, I, um, I, you know, I didn't have a rich history <laughs> coming right out of college with Andy Warhol. <laughs> <laughs> what I did have was just a like deep interest in the Velvet Underground. Okay, yeah. that that makes a lot of sense because I can hear that in the music. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I can't hide it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and nor should you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're just one of those bands that I, you know, I think like a lot of people you discover in high school or college and I never realized just how, you know, still to this day, I, I can't believe, you know, how commercially unsuccessful they were. Right. But how incredibly influential they were. Yeah, exactly. And and influential, not just in music, but in, in pop culture. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like I love that old. I think it was a Brian Eno quote where he was. He said, "You know, that first, that first album, the Banana Record that Warhol produced, it might not have sold many copies, but everyone who bought one formed a band." Yeah, I you yeah, know? I heard that quote. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, I just I just had this crazy. You know, it wasn't to me. It was it wasn't crazy. It was it. You know, it wasn't a hard sell. Or I felt like to in a in a museum dedicated to Andy Warhol that that there be a music series and right. and we you know you would you would start you know you can certainly reference the Velvet Underground and a lot of other bands that he was involved with in music and composers but um I never thought that it would become you know here I am almost 20 years later um working you know as a curator at the Warhol Museum really focused on on performing arts and music and it, it's really been just kind of a dream and and um it, it you know the the museum i took just a big break from music because you not i mean i've been around it obviously mm-hmm. uh, with the music series at the Warhol, but playing myself i just you know life gets in the way right life changes yeah. I, I you know i got married i i have two kids and so i put it on a big pause button for Gosh, I mean, probably at least 10 years. And then just about, I'm just going to, I'm going to say maybe five or six years ago, I just felt like it, you know, the, the kids were at a certain age where, 
you know, we didn't feel like we had to hover, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, I've got three myself. I know exactly what you mean. Okay. Yeah, yeah. my wife is a, is a working artist, and she's, she's uh, you know, she's, um, so she's very much, you know, kind oh, of cool. working on independent projects and things all the time. And what kind, of so, art, what kind of art does she do? Pardon me? What kind of art does she do? Oh, she does, um, uh, she does printmaking, uh, silkscreen printmaking. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we actually met at the museum. I, I for, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and uh, she's yeah. So she came to the museum from from Houston, and we met there. And then she left shortly after to to do her own work. And um, and uh, now she actually teaches printmaking at a, at a high school as well. But um, nice. yeah. So uh, anyway, I I um, at some point a number of years, five years ago, six years ago, I I just said, you know, I. I think it's time to get back at it. And what particularly inspired me to do that was just the work, you know, that I do at the museum and working with bands all the time and kind of living vicariously a little <laughs> bit through them, right? That's kind of what I'm doing with this podcast. Yeah. I know yeah. Exactly you know, you it's like when they get out of the van, you know, and, <laughs> and come in the museum and, and they're like, whoa, you know, th- th- that's a whole experience, but just like that whole kind of lifestyle which I, I feel like I've got a lot of empathy for, um, you know, not having done a ton of touring, but certainly being in that world. Yeah. Uh, you know, what that's like, the reality of it. And, you know, show after show and city after city and playing to, you know, small but appreciative audiences. And so we really, it's like, I try to create a really welcoming and positive environment for folks when they come to the museum and, and I just think through doing that and working with them, I just, I just felt like I really, I want to get back to this. And so sorry for the long winded answer, but oh, that's no. kind of how I got, got to stutter steps was, you know, um, just taking a moment to say, let's, let's get back to this and writing a bunch of songs and, and just going from there. So you were touring with your band Torister. Yes. Now was that, were they were you guys active when you started working at the museum or had you kind of stopped because of the museum job how did that all work itself out yeah i mean a tourister um you know that, that was uh you know a, a band that i started and was in as a trio originally a very very you know teen beat kind of inspired kind of you know twee straight ahead pop band <laughs> that, I, that i really you know loved um but it, you know, it, it just kind of, I think it kind of ran its course, you know, and, and I was in the band with a couple and, and that couple kind of moved away. And I think I'm glad you brought that up because that was, that was also about the time, say like, you know, that was right around 2000 and that's when the the job started to really kick in as like a real thing. And, um, you know, I certainly could have kept playing, but I just felt like, you know, I'm just going to shift my attention elsewhere. And then it just kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, took a, took a detour there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And then, you know, but actually there is a connection between the two because um, right towards the end of Tourister, um, I, I was, um, we kind of involved a new member, Cindy Yogmas. And, so we were a quartet for a very short time. And then I continued to play with Cindy oh. just kind of on our own, not anything formal to this day. So Cindy has also been a part of stutter steps 
Um, right. You know, and has since moved, you know, a few different times across the country, but, but we still, you know, she's still very much involved and, and kind of has been like the core member. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, with, with me of, of stutter steps, you know, since, since it became a thing. That's also just, she's, she branches, uh, bridges the two bands and yeah. over, over the span of 20 years. Pretty much. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, all right. So you started this job at the Andy Warhol Museum and you're now curating it. What, what exactly do you do as a curator? I've always been curious about that. What is, what's like a typical day for somebody who is a curator? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of a, it's a unique um, situation in that, you know, I'm, you know, I've, I've been a, a curator there now, like I said, for a while and really formally kind of developing the sounds that we call it the sound series is the brand okay. and really started that as a, a branded like full time year round series in 2004. Oh, okay. um, so we did a good bit of experimenting. Um, and I was fortunate to work with a director at the time who was just, you know, he, um, he, he always told me he didn't want to be the director of the Andy Warhol mausoleum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's a great point. You know, it's, yeah, the guy's so, work is so vibrant. You don't want it to. Yeah. So, needless to say, we hit it off pretty well. Because uh, <laughs> I said, well, I'd I'd really like to shake things up and uh, you know just start the series. And so, um, yeah. So, so to your point, I, um, you know, I, I. The day to day is is a lot of you know coordinating, um, and in you know kind of selecting artists to be in the series. We do about twenty performances a year. Oh wow! Which you know for us being a single artist museum with a staff of you know thirty folks and me being a department of one, it's it's about all we can handle. You yeah. know, um, but it's it's it keeps us really active. I think and. Uh, you know, we we work in four different venues. We have two at the museum, a little hundred and thirty seat theater um, where we started everything, and we have a about a three hundred capacity kind of standing room, more like club type space. Oh, okay, yeah. In the in the museum, and then we have two kind of larger, old you know turn of the century theaters, um, like a music hall and what. Um, what used to be kind of a chamber music hall. So about 600 capacity in 2000. Wow. So it's, it's a huge range because that allows us to work with, I'll say, you know, like Robin Hitchcock in a, in a, in an intimate 130 seat room where you really feel like he's sitting in your living room. Yeah. And then we can go to the music hall with Nick cave and blow the doors off, you know? So fantastic. it's, it's it's a huge range. It's it's a real uh, privilege to to have those spaces available to us. And um, you know, so anyway, to get back to your question, um, it's it's a lot of organizing that series and thinking about kind of you know what artists we want to work with and and just the the all the logistics that go into that. Obviously, working with lots of agents and and artists directly. Um, but then, you know, I also work with the collection itself, which is a real treat for me and something I certainly never thought I would do. And, you know, Warhol was just so prolific 
in so many disciplines. I mean, yes, he was a painter and people know a lot of the iconic pop work with the soup cans and the Maryland's and the Brillo right. boxes and the banana He also films for almost a decade. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so we have so many films of his and a lot of them are, I mean, we have the entire film collection and a lot of them are early sixties silent films. Oh, wow. And, that has opened up a huge opportunity for us to commission musicians to create soundtracks. For okay. So that's been a big part of what I do as well is, is um, kind of, you know, working with, we've got a few different projects that have toured over the years with um, artists that I'll, I'll ask if they want to come in and watch a bunch of Warhol film and uh, <laughs> see, see what strikes their fancy, you know? Okay. Um, so is that where uh, Dean Worm and, uh, and, and Britta Phillips come in? Exactly. Yeah. That's, and that's such a huge part for me of, of this, this whole story of stutter steps is, uh, you know, I was Dean and galaxy 500 were like a, just huge for me. Yeah. You know, next to the velvets and the feelies and, the whole like New Zealand scene with the bats and the clean, like I was just huge galaxy 500 and Luna fan. Yes. And yes. so at one point, I don't remember exactly how I think they were touring. Luna was touring in around 2000 or maybe even before that 98, 99. And we just, uh, I just asked him, Hey, do you want to come to the museum and hang out, see the archives, see some velvet underground, like, lyric sheets or something <laughs> watch some <laughs> silent andy warhol movie whatever, whatever carrot i could dangle yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they did and we just kind of hit it off That's and awesome. it was just so i yeah i working with them we did that in 2008 we did a, a project called 13 most beautiful songs for andy warhol screen tests and dean and britta just knocked it out of the park with fantastic 13 songs for 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 the screen tests. And, you know, it was just one of those things where, you know, it just hit a, it hit a nerve or it hit, it hit, it just, it, it was, um, the type of project that, uh, I think people came to because either they knew Dean and Britta or Luna or they knew Warhol film and, or both. And, um, and it just really took off. So it toured for, Oh goodness, five, six years. Wow. Um, just internationally. And so it gave me an opportunity to not just work with them, but just get to know them really well. And that was a huge inspiration for me to, to get back in the game. <laughs> so that, that's kind of what got the juices stirring again for songwriting. It totally did because like being on the road with them and touring that project and, you know, just watching in the wings and, and I just was like, I got to get back on the stage. I got to get back. <laughs> I got to pick up my guitar. You know, I've got so and then talking to Dean, you know, he just had so many great ideas. And, he, you know, he he was always just very encouraging. So, um, you know, that that's just kind of how it started. And, and uh, the first record that we did is, is Sutter Steps. He actually, you know, um, had a guest guitar part on it. And um Backdrop by those all 
you know, so it's 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 one of those things where I just it's hard to draw the line between work and and you know what I mean because yes. it's kind of one thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and so for the first album, you actually went into the woods into a cabin to do the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that story. That sounds crazy. And, and did you record the whole thing while you're in there, or were you just demoing it out there? No, the whole thing. Wow. It was all done within within four days. Oh yeah. My gosh, that doesn't sound well. It doesn't sound like it was done in four days. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Uh, yeah. No, that was just one of those things where um, you know another reason that I started Stutter Steps um, is because I, I was I was started playing with uh, this guy Jeff Barron, and you, you may know Jeff. He plays in a band called Essex Green. Um, I've heard of that. They're on uh, Merge Records, and he uh, he used to have a band that I, I liked a lot named Ladybug Transistor. Okay, okay. And they 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 were on Merge for a while, and he and his sister uh, Jennifer are from Pittsburgh. Oh, and okay. Actually, from the neighborhood that that I I live in now, um, just south of Pittsburgh, and. So, you know, he was, you know, he, he was living in New York for years. He came back to Pittsburgh for a couple of years. We got together and uh, we just really clicked. And we started working on these songs for the first record. And he said, you know, uh, we should record these with Gary, uh, um, Gary uh, Olson from Ladybug Transistor. Right, right. Okay. Studio in Brooklyn. So we were going to go. Uh, to Brooklyn and record, and I said, "Well, you know, I've I've got access to this cabin out in the, <laughs> out in the woods, which I have to say, it really isn't a cabin. It's a it's a it's like a lodge. It's okay. a yeah. <laughs> it's uh, just through through work. It's a long story. It's uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's out in the middle of literally like a couple of miles back into the woods. Oh wow." But it so it's totally isolated. There's nothing around, and it's beautiful. There's a creek that runs behind it, and I was like, uh, "Why don't we just go there and and record? Like it'll just be like no distraction, like or, or whatever." I just thought, "Let's try it." And you know, Gary was up for it, so we brought a bunch of gear out there, um, and we set up shop. And yeah, so we it was pretty, you know. We didn't mess around. <laughs> now, but, were the songs re- uh, written and re- worked out before you guys went to the cabin? Yeah, yeah. I had I had everything pretty well worked out um, in terms of you know the you know the the songs were written and the you know and I had rehearsed different parts with you know I was fortunate to to get a a, a group of some great. Um, Pittsburgh musicians, some that I had played a little with before and some that, you know, were, it was kind of a new thing. Yeah. And so, and, uh, it, Jeff actually turned out that, <laughs> um, once we scheduled it, um, just like a couple weeks before he had to, um, move to Vermont, um, to take a, a job. So oh, wow. <laughs> he wasn't actually there. So that was my first experience in sharing lots of Dropbox files. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like. Yeah. So uh, we, we did that thing, but you know, I think it feels like he was there when you listen to the record. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely doesn't sound like, uh, I guess it, like it was recorded in four days. It doesn't sound like people weren't 
present there. Everything yeah, yeah, yeah. sounds fantastic. So, that was just kind of this unique experience, but it really just kind of got the ball rolling. And uh, yeah, and you know, I released that with a a, a Pittsburgh uh, label at the time um, called uh, Wild Kindness, and I think it was just you know just the all the positive momentum around that record and, and the feedback, which I never. I was, I had no expectation, you know, I just wanted to put out this record. And so I just, anyway, that just kind of obviously is what led to the, the EP a few years ago and now to this new record. So on the first Stutter Steps album, was that the, the cabin on, on the cover of it? Yes, That's- that is the cabin on the cover. <laughs> yeah. How did you come up with the name Stutter Steps? You know, I think it's because I, uh, I'm a big soccer fan and... To me, it's like, I, I don't know, it's just one of those like moves that I've always liked. And okay. I just, I, you know, it's, it, it's, that, that was it really. I just it just struck, it struck something with you. You know, I think a lot of, you know, it's, it wasn't so much of a American football reference like <laughs> stutter stuff, but you know, whatever, it's all sports, I guess, you know. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that was I, pretty much it. <laughs> you, now the EP you put out floored. The the yeah. track the title track of that is great and you have this really cool reference to Julie Cruz in it. Yeah, <laughs> I love Julie Cruz. Yeah, she was. She's actually been a guest on this podcast. Really? But I've never released the sh- the show. Oh, you know, you say Julie Cruz, and, and a lot of people have no idea who the hell you're talking about. So yeah, but I've always loved her music. I've always loved David Lynch movies. So yeah, it was, yeah. It was. It was. It really was a weird interview. It was good. Yeah, but uh, oh, that's interesting. I mean, no, I mean, so I was like, yeah. I got to find out if you worked with her because this is because you don't hear Julie Cruz references no. very often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> no that you know, honestly, that's um, I, I, I haven't had a chance to work with her. But I, to me, it was just um, Cindy and I and Cindy more than me is a huge Twin Peaks fan. Oh, yeah. And, you know, somehow that song, you know. There was a, there must, you know, it made me think of Twin Peaks a lot. And uh, I just had to throw in Julie Cruz in there for, that, <laughs> for Cindy, if nothing else. You know? that, so. That's when you, I, I was listening. I love reeling and I think it's great. And, but then when, when I heard that, I'm like, sold. I, yeah. you won me over <laughs> even more with that. I'm like that, this is a, a Julie Cruz reference. And then I'm like, yeah, I, maybe I should tell him that story. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see if that actually makes the final edit or not. But, but, oh, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> all right. So I wanted to uh, find, find out a little bit more about the new album, Reeling. Yeah. Did you? Is there a difference in how you approached Reeling uh, as opposed to the the first album and the EP? Yeah. No. Very much. I'm. I'm glad you asked that um, because it's um, th- really this Reeling 
is a, a total result of um, a friendship that I have with uh, Anthony Lamarca. Oh, uh, uh, War on Drugs, right? War on Drugs, yeah. yeah. And just to to um, make the connection back to, to Dean and Britta for a second, um, Anthony was actually the original drummer for the 13 Most Beautiful Project that we did with Dean and Britta. Oh, okay. And he was like, at that point, this was 2008, he was, I think, still in school, like in 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 college. Wow. <laughs> they auditioned him in New York to, to as a drummer, and that was it. And so I've known Anthony for a long time, but, you know, after he toured initially with 13 Most Beautiful, and he just, he's such, he's just one of these, like, really genuinely sweet people and kind people, but he's just so talented and he's become, you know, he's a, he obviously, you know, has, he's played with war on drugs for a while, but he's also does a lot of session work and, and, um, he played with St. Vincent for a while. Um, and oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. He started as a drummer and, you know, played, um, drums with Dean and Britta and with St. Vincent, but then kind of transitioned to like with war on drugs for, you know, the past several years, he's been playing guitar and keys um, with them. Okay. And so anyway, uh, he, he moved again. He was another friend that moved back from New York um, to not to Pittsburgh, but to Youngstown, Ohio. Oh, okay. And, you know, that's wow. like an hour from here. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, um, we, I, you know, started talking when he moved back to town and he said, you know, hey, um, I'm actually working out of an an, uh, an older studio in Youngstown called Peppermint Productions, which okay. <laughs> I had never heard of, but it, it's an old it it's claim to fame um, from the early '70s, kind of onward, was as a polka studio. I was going to say it sounds more like a strip club from the '60s yeah. or something. <laughs> I'll go with polka but club. It's actually this beautifully well preserved, like studio with lots of great analog gear and wow it's it's a really a time capsule from 1973 oh wow Uh, and the the owner of the studio is is amazing and um he was the engineer for the project so anyway the the record is totally different in that it's kind of the record i i always the experience i always wanted to have because it was just a lot of uh, the luxury of just having a lot of time to play and experiment in a studio. Okay. As opposed to a home studio or, you know, the, like the EP was, um, you know, it was like, we, we did a lot of tracking at at studio at two different studios in Pittsburgh. And then I just kind of shipped all the files, um, to my friend, uh, Jason Quaver, who is in a band called the paper cuts. And he had a studio in LA at the time. Okay. And so then I went out there to visit him and did all the mixing. So it was a little disjointed, you know, it was just kind of, you know, it wasn't a lot of, um, it was just kind of very cut and dry, right? Like right. just crack down and send it off. Oh, wow. And, and then we, you know, spent a lot of time with it out there, but this was more like, because Youngstown is so close, whenever I had a day and he wasn't on tour with war on drugs, just several, you know, afternoons we could spend together just kind of working 
song by song. And it was really just the two of us. So, you know, I obviously played guitar and did a lot of the vocals and had the songs pretty much ready to go. But Anthony can basically play anything else. (laughs) That's amazing. So it was just kind of one stop shopping in a way, you know, and and I also got to know Anthony as a producer and um, he just really was hearing things in a totally different way that was really helpful to kind of push me a little bit out of my comfort zone and, you know, explore some different guitar textures and sounds. And, um, yeah. So anyway, that, that's kind of how, how we did that record was the two of us. Okay. Cause the record sounds a little more dense, a little grittier, um, a little warmer even than, than the first album. And it's, it's, it doesn't sound like, yeah, just the two of you guys working on it. I mean, it sounds right. <laughs> it sounds pretty pretty dense. It's got this fantastic warmth, and this I don't know if I'm going to explain this right or, or or say this correctly, but it sounds like an older album from the Northeast. It's got a Northeast sound to it with the keyboards, mm. yeah, and, and the 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 guitar. I mean, it sounds the guitar sounds definitely like it's been influenced by the Velvet Underground. That's that's yeah. for sure, and you know the being New York. Yeah. It's just, it, I don't know. It, it's, it's hard for me to, exp- I'm not explaining mm. it the way I want to, but sure, sure, sure. Did you use a lot of vintage equipment recording this? Uh, yeah, we did. You know, I think that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I unfortunately I'm not too savvy on <laughs> <laughs> stuff really too much. I mean, I, I do know the mics were all incre- like a lot of old, like ribbon mics and tube mics, like really vintage stuff. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the luxury. I could just show up there, you know, with a couple of things, you know, my guitar, my amp and, but there was just this like, you know, plethora of options to, to, to play with. And, you know, Anthony, Anthony was so good about, you know, thinking like, well, this is how we'll mic this and different amps and layers. And to your point, I think, yeah, there, there is just a, there's a lot more density there. There's a lot more layers and textures and, you know, just multiple tracks of guitars and overdrive more, you know, than I'm used to using. And, and I think it just really helped to, you know, give it some range. Oh, it does. I mean, I mean, the first single was giant sand heart. That's Mm -hmm. a great track. I I love it. I I played that for my brother and he's, he's big. He loves, um, he's, he's Mm -hmm. an older soul. And I, I, I like stuff from, you know, I love old blues from the twenties all the way up to stuff that that's out this year. My brother, he's, he specializes in stuff from the fifties through like the seventies. That's, that's, but he knows everything. (laughs) Yeah. He's got, he's got like every album ever released from 1955 to like 78 by everybody. It's insane. And he, I, I sent him, uh, uh, the YouTube clip from uh, of Giant Sand Heart, and he loved it. You said you're on the side of science. That's one thing that you can rely on, and it's the one thing that helps me stay calm.
And uh, oh, great! I wanted to. Uh, I, I my favorite are, are Giant Sand Heart. That's it's got a great track, but I think my favorite song is Keeping On. Oh, I absolutely love it. It's got that's got a slightly different feel to it than the rest of the album. It does. It does. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing that that Anthony kind of got me into was. Um, I think the thing that, that stands out more about that song is um, there's a lot of electronic drums in that song, okay. um, which, which, you know, he would oftentimes play like a, like a sample track, like a, a, a drum, a certain beat that, that he found or had somewhere along with actual drums, um, like him playing them, mm-hmm. but it added like, there's a whole different frequency there. Like that song has got a lot of low end yes. to it. And it's, it's kind of got like more of a haunting quality. I think, you know, it's yeah. a little, just a little, you know, it's, it, <laughs> it's hard for me to describe too, but I mean, it didn't start that way. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was more of a straight, you know, ahead as I, you know, probably jangly, more acoustic song that I would probably, you know, you know, that's just kind of my, my way. Mm-hmm. And I think Anthony heard it and said, wait a minute, like, let's slow it down. Let's, let's add this different, this beat. Let's, let's, yeah. uh, you know, like you said, there was a lot of keys, um, that kind of add those, those, um, uh, the depth, I think, you know, give it a lot of bottom end. Yeah. Um, so, but no, thank you. I, I, uh, that's one of my favorites on the, on the, you know, just lyrically, that's one of my favorites. So. Yeah, that and, and Been Here. I think those, Giant Sand Hard, Keeping On, and Been Here are my top three off the album. It, they've, been Here's got a really cool little guitar thing, thing going. Yeah. I really like that little riff you've got going. In the middle. Thank you. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That's actually, you know, one of the, the few riffs that, that uh, you know, that I, it, that I play that on the record, because I'm not much of a... Uh, you know, melodies and solos are really not so much my thing. I, I try, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm a, I feel like I'm a mediocre rhythm guitarist. And, you know, I, it, but, but that that was something that I just kind of liked from the beginning. And, and Anthony and I just kind of bonded on that song over our deep uh, passion for the feelies. Okay. And, <laughs> we tried, tried not to make it too, like, on the nose, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, we we broke out the the, the bongo drums and the the uh, claves, and uh, <laughs> you know, it was we were getting pretty crazy rhythms on it. So you know. that's awesome. I love I love it, and your vocal delivery is is wonderful. I mean, it's just it's just relaxed. Yeah, and I love that. It's this is a fantastic album to drive to. I've been listening to it, to it for days. I've got a forty five minute commute from. My wow. house to my job. So, okay. For the last week, I've been putting it on and and just yeah, listening and and before I know it, I'm either home or at work. So it's just oh, I really I, that means a lot. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the music. One of the few positives about this whole coronavirus thing is that my commute is so much easier right now. There's yeah, like nobody on the road. Yeah, so commute's yeah. nice and smooth. And uh, right on. This music is is helping it be a lot nicer of a commute. Oh, thank you. That's, that's a weird. I guess it's a weird compliment, but well, hey, no, I mean, I I, I get it. No, <laughs> thank you. So, have you have you been doing much? I know everybody seems to be on lockdown at this point. Um, I know 
uh, I've, I've had a few other people on during this time, and they, they, I had one band on that that hasn't even toured their their album yet, and they're now they're actually working on their next album before they've even toured the prior album because they've got nothing to do. Have you been right. have you been writing, working on any new material while you've been on while everybody the whole world yeah. on lockdown? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I have. I've certainly been trying to to take advantage of the time. It's it's tough. I mean, I think I've, I, you know, uh, talked to to Dean and a few other folks, you know, um, uh, about it as well. And it's the it's it's a it, it's a little hard to concentrate. You know, I mean, it's there's just it, just the, the anxiety. I think of the moment. It's yeah. it's hard to just kind of tune that out, and you oh. know. And, and just go there or go somewhere else, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I have, I, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I just, since I can't just fast track kind of, um, projects, you know, just because of my job and yeah. the folks I work with having a lot going on, you know, like Anthony, like it, it takes usually a year or two for me to, to kind of get back on the horse and get something going and, you know, and that's, that's, I mean, obviously I don't have a, fortunately I'm, you know, I work with, uh, Blue Arrow Records now who are just, I have to say, just a dream come true for me because they're a, just a great little label out of Cleveland and, um, they, you know, are just in it for the right reasons and there's, there's no pressure or timelines or, you know, formalities like that. So it's, um, that's good. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I definitely want to, I think maybe, maybe a seven inch next. Um, oh, but, cool. you know, just cause I haven't done that in a while. Um, and, uh, something I could just do quickly, you know, um, just yeah. to get, maybe get something out. Now, um, yeah. With, when, when things start to ease up a little bit and, and places, venues start to open up, do you have plans to play stutter steps live? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, you know, touring has always been a little challenging. It's, you know, just because kind of have folks all over the place, you know, um, in terms of like the live situation. Um, but I'd like to, um, whether it's like, you know, maybe touring in support of, of someone, someone else, um, for, you know, uh, a couple of weeks. Um, you know, we certainly had plans to, to do a number of, you know, well, at least a few shows initially around the release. Um, and we were going to do in June and that that's not happening right. obviously, but yeah, to nothing concrete, but I, I would like to get out there and, and support the record a little bit if I can. <laughs> oh, that'd be wonderful. Hopefully you can, yeah. you know, swing down the, the mid Atlantic hit, hit, uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Winchester, Northern Virginia, DC area. Yeah, I'll have to to get some uh, suggestions from you. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man, uh, one of the coolest things ever to me was I uh, I follow a lot of people on on social media. And when I first started getting into social media, that was one of the reasons I did it because you know I, I went to college at early nineties. I was I was yeah. up at RIT uh, for photography from the, okay in, in like ni- I went there in ninety one. So okay, so. By the time social media really started rolling around, a lot of the bands I was listening to were just kind of spread apart. They weren't yeah. really super active. So I started right. trying to follow either whatever pages they had or, or some of their members to yeah. just to kind of 
keep track of what they were doing because I really liked their music. Right. And one of those guys was uh, Ken Stringfellow from the Posies. Oh, yeah. So I was, uh, I, I, he's done a lot of work with a, a friend of mine, Jordan, uh, Jordan Zadarozny from uh, Blink of the Star. And uh, one day out of the blue, I just get this direct message from Ken saying, hey, I'm playing a show in Winchester. Hmm. You, you should come out and check it out. I'm like, yeah. Okay. I'm, I don't think I've ever <laughs> sent you a message. This is weird. <laughs> so I replied to him. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. No problem. Right. You know what? Because it, yeah. it, the venue is literally five minutes from my house. So I'm like, and yeah, and you know nobody comes to Winchester to play. I mean, they'll go to DC, right. and that's sure. That's like an hour and twenty minutes. It's not a terrible drive. Yeah. It's doable, but I really gotta want to see you to, to go there. Yeah, but Winchester, right. hell yeah, I'll go. I'll go see you, see you there. Right. So he's like, "Hey, do you know anybody with some keyboards?" <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, actually, I think I do. My kid's uh, guitar <laughs> teacher might have. So. Yeah. So yeah. So I got the I got those two hooked up, and Ken borrowed his keyboards to play at the Brightbox Theater here in Winchester. Oh wow! It was that's great. Really weird. That was just a solo show, or yeah, it was just it was just Ken. Yeah. He had a, wow. two supporting acts, a local guy, and then a, a singer named yeah. Karen Allen, who was really okay. good. And okay. yeah, and Ken went up. Um, it was a the theater has two levels. There's a there's the actual theater level, which I'm not exactly. I have no idea how many people it. it it uh, holds. Yeah. But they have an upstairs part they call out of the box. And it that's that's uh, maybe, you know, holds like thirty people. Oh and, wow. And that's where he was. So Oh wow. So we went yeah. up there and uh we we were chatting for a little bit and uh thank you for hooking him up with some keyboards. And he yeah. he played for like two hours. His it was his the album he released in on September eleventh, two thousand one, called Touched, and he was okay. Re, he was redoing that whole, well, not redoing, but uh, supporting that album, playing it in its entirety, and then playing a couple extra songs yeah. on top of it. Oh. And it it was really cool. I brought my camera, yeah. got a whole bunch of pictures of him. So, yeah, 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 that's great. So, so that's a place for you right here, the the bright box yeah. in Winchester. Box, so. okay. <laughs> Thank you too. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> and it's not too far of a driveway. I mean. Ken lives in France, so that was kind of a haul. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how can people pick up the album? I can they, they find you, follow you on social media, and find out what you're up to if you are going to release something and, and when you can actually go out and play a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, we, our, our biggest, I think, presence, you know, is, is definitely um, Stutter Steps on Facebook. Um, but uh blue arrow records um in cleveland um they're uh they're certainly selling the record um you know on, they have a quite an online business okay. um both just on their website and through discogs um oh i love discogs it, yeah yeah and it's uh it's going it's it will be it is in the process of being distributed it will have distribution. I, th I think during this time, like they were just saying that distribution has been held up quite a bit. I just imagine, yeah. All this, you know, everything that's going on. So, um, but they have a nice relationship with the distributor. So I'm hoping it'll be in, you know, small record shops around. And, uh, and yeah. And it's on Bandcamp too. Yeah, that too. Sorry. Yeah. I actually just pulled up. I'm looking at it right now. So you, and you can pick oh, up great. all your stuff there. Yeah. 
And does uh, does the museum have an online presence where people can learn more about what's going on with, with the uh, performances and uh, the artwork there? Yeah, sure. www.warhall.org is the website. And, you know, that's in terms of, you know, the sound series that I mentioned, that's that's all on there. Oh, cool. Uh, and kind of our music section. Um, but then also, yeah, there, we've got quite a presence um, on Facebook and Instagram in particular. So what's the the museum doing during this whole lockdown phase that we're in? You know, I mean, not, I mean, the museum has been closed, um, you know, since mid-March. Right. And um, fortunately, a, a lot of us are still able to work from home, you know, on on things, um, particularly with, with me and the music series and everything. But, um, you know, I think we're just, we're just in a holding pattern like so many people just waiting for to hear from the governor and um, the state, you know, state of Pennsylvania, the guidelines for this whole reopening recovery process, I guess it's called, you know. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm hoping that, that, you know, in the in the next couple of months we can get our doors back open, um, you know, but I think it'll be a very gradual process. Yeah, because you know, museum is it, it's a public place. I mean, you you get large yeah. enough there. It's it's going to be really. Yeah. I, I'm I'm curious to see how that all works out. We've got all the national museums in D.C. as well, so yeah. it's you know it's just going to be a weird weird time for the next few months. Yeah, no, I mean all you know that's there. You know the social distancing protocols are really going to you know what you kind of see in the grocery store right now, for example. Yeah. I think to your point, yeah, how that's going to apply to you know, museums and, and then even further into, you know, obviously like, you know, live theater events and, you know, seat, seated situations is a whole other thing. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. I did see an article where somebody did do their first social distance live show at some club, uh, some, some article on online. That hmm. they, they had a uh, table set and they had markers from where you should stand. And it was just really, really weird. Yeah. That would, no, it's, it, that wouldn't fly anything but like a, a, a you know an adult show. You, you can't yeah. You can't have you know bad religion on stage and right expect people to be socially distant from each other. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but look, man, I've I've kept you for a while. Thank you so much. This has been a blast talking to you and learning more about what you do the between the museum and the band. It's it's been really cool talking to you. Thank you. Well, no, I appreciate the interest and thank, thank you. It's uh, likewise. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 